with your wafer in this little wrapper and not being able to get out. So just pay attention, little tab on top first, then the bottom one, and we'll be good to go as we make some changes so that we can, again, participate in the Lord's Supper. So with that said, a couple other announcements. Uh, the kids' CD, has that been passed out already? If there's any kids that did not get a CD for the program we're going to be doing in December, where each Sunday they're going to be singing a d- five Sundays? Five, age five and up. Oh, age five and up. Uh, we're going to, they're going to be singing different songs throughout December for us. Please, 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 please see Lita so you can get the words for that as well as the CD itself. Veterans, if you have never given us info on your military service before, please see Lita after church. Um, please be in prayer for our food bank. That'll be tomorrow. Um, we've put some new signs out. We've been promoting it. We've got a ton of new stuff we've never offered before. We've got like 100 plus pounds of frozen meats, different things. So again, be praying for that grocery ministry, not so that we can just meet the physical needs in our community, but also the spiritual needs as well. That'll be from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. tomorrow. And if you'd like to come volunteer, please be there around 9 a.m. Um, let's see. The last announcement is today at 2 o'clock, we'll be having uh, Dana Hood's graveside um, this afternoon right outside at 2 p.m. if you'd like to be there for that service. Um, the family has asked for uh, no flowers, nothing like that, but if you'd like to make a donation to something, it could be made towards the cemetery fund. Uh, another thing, just a reminder, uh, I know we don't do offertory uh, anymore. We don't pass the plates. They just sit in the back. But today we are taking up a special love offering for Johnny Searcy and his family. Uh, many of you know Johnny Searcy. Um, he has been uh, battling with COVID for a long time. His wife is sitting in a parking lot outside the hospital day in and day out, staying in hotels so that she can be there to support her husband, even though she's not allowed to be in there supporting her husband. Um, they have tried a unique surgery um, on him that that hospital has never done before. I believe it's at Chattanooga Memorial, um, where they have tried to reinflate his lungs, uh, put a plug in it, so on and so forth. So please be in prayer for him. Please be in prayer for his family as they struggle and fight through this time. Are there any other announcements, praise reports, or anything else this morning? Very good. I hope you all had fun last night. Uh, Those of you with kids, those of you who got to stay home and just throw candy at kids, when they came by uh, Friday, we had a successful uh, children's school again on Friday, and we made sure all the kids were very sugared up before we sent them home. And so I'm sure all the parents are mad at us, but it'll be okay. That's why we have grace and forgiveness. So with that said, let us enter into our service today with prayer. Father God, I thank you for all the people that you have gathered here today. God, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship, that we would uh, sing your praises unburdened by the things going on in this world. Um, God, that we can lay aside the election, the epidemic. God, anything that, (laughs) these big things and even the small things going on in our lives. God, the smallest worries to our biggest battles. God, I just pray we can lay them down at your feet at this time and just simply worship you. God, I pray for the message today, um, that it would be uh, full of your Holy Spirit, God, that whatever you would want the people to hear would come from you and that whatever just comes from me would fall on deaf ears. Father God, I pray 
for us to be moved, for us to be emboldened, for us to be uh, set on fire with the spirit that you have put in us for the purpose that you have for us. Father God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who we will sit and remember and, and have a meal in the presence of today, God, as we remember what he did for us on the cross, what he made possible through his blood, through his broken body for us. God, let us rejoice in that. Let us bask in that. And let us just simply worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll come up. November already. How about that? Let's all stand. We're going to sing Are You Washed in the Blood? It's page number 330. Number 330. We'll sing the first and the last verse. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your Turn over to page 460. Let us break bread together. We'll sing all three verses. 460. Break bread together on our knees. 
together on our knees when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun oh Lord have mercy on me you can be seated
Children's Church, you are dismissed. For everybody else, if you will, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. We will be continuing our study today. It's been a couple weeks. We had James step up and lead us in an awesome service two weeks ago. Last week, even though I can't say their names, since we're going to post this online, we had some of our missionaries come and share with us. And today, I get to have this special prop that I've been trying to find a good sermon for for like three years now since I got here, and finally it is upon us. So I'm probably going to put a hole in the stage at some point when I drop this, but I, yeah, Michael fix it, don't worry about it. Or he'll kill me, either one, so at least you'll have something handy when you need it. But either way, um, man, I am so excited about this sermon today. You know, a couple weeks ago we were studying through chapter 4 and we stopped halfway through because there's just a special message and throughout this next passage of Scripture, and especially one verse that we're going to really sit on today, uh, leading up into our communion service. So, uh, if you will, I'm going to start reading just to refresh us in chapter 4, verse 1 on through, talking about where we are, putting us up for the context, and then we will begin our study in verse 15. So let us read. Remember that uh, they had began uh, rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah had confronted the issue in chapter 1 that his people were broken and living in sin. And it was not just the walls that had fallen apart, but it was God's people that had been falling apart. And so Nehemiah sees this issue. He prays. Uh, in chapter 2, we see the king of uh, Persia give him what he is desired. He gives him men. He gives him money. He sends him back to the city of his birth, and he puts him to work. And so then in chapter 3, we begin to see all the men of Judah as they gather together with their families, repairing the wall in front of their house, uh, repairing the wall next to them, so on and so forth, all working together, rebuilding the wall, but not just rebuilding the wall, rebuilding themselves as God's people, as he works on them, as he brings them back into his fold, into the will uh, that he has for them. And so then in chapter 4, we begin to see opposition arise. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and he mocked the Jews. And we read through those things that he was saying. He was calling them pathetic. Can they even do it by themselves? Will they be able to worship? Will they even finish it? And then he comes and he says, you know, can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who we had met earlier in this book, who was also in opposition to them, uh, he was beside Sambalet, and he said, indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break it down, he would tear down their stone wall. So even something as light as a fox, which today, as our archaeologists prove the word of God true as they dig, they're finding that the wall that Nehemiah built, it was nine feet wide. Nine feet wide, except for the broad wall, which was up to 15 to 20 feet wide in some places. So a nine-foot stone wall would be torn down by a fox. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how when the enemy, well, how each of us has an enemy, an eternal enemy, an enemy that is 
against us and not for us as our Savior, as our God is. And he comes bring, uh, trying to sow doubt in our lives. He comes trying to sow discord and disunity, and he will ridicule us, he will mock our worship, and he will mock even something as obvious as a nine-foot wall being able to hold up a fox. The enemy and his deceit He will lie, and he will lie, and he will question. And we talked about how that is the same way that he lied and how he questioned in the Garden of Eden, how he led us into sin. So listen, our God, for we are despised. So Nehemiah hears all this. He knows what is coming up against them. And the first thing that Nehemiah, our leader, our man of God does is he goes to God in prayer. He says, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads. He prays war upon his enemies. And we talked about how now we do not struggle against flesh and blood. We struggle against the principalities of darkness that are against us and how we are made more than conquerors through Christ. But still, he prays war on his enemies. And so It says in verse six, we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. So even in the beginning, even as they took on this opposition, they continued in their work and they got to a halfway point. And we talked about how the danger of a halfway point is you see how much you've had to do to get to where you're at and you know how much it's gonna take to go the rest of the way. But again, they continued. So we rebuilt the wall, they kept working, but then more opposition comes against them. Uh, When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. And again, just as we talked about uh, the descriptions of the gates in chapter three, it was talking about every single point, north, south, east, and west. Now we are being given the enemies that surround them, north, south, east, and west. Now God's people have come up against more opposition. They are literally being surrounded by their enemies that are furious at them for rebuilding this wall, for doing what God has for them. And so all these enemies, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed. Again, Nehemiah and his people, they prayed to their God, and they also stationed a guard because of them day and night. So we see Nehemiah again. He, they pray, they trusted God, but they also did something about it. They did not cower back from the work. They did not stop building. They continued on. And that's the real victory here, is that even when opposition comes up against you, which it will, in uh, Sunday school, actually, it was perfect how God joins things together. They were talking about opposition. They were talking about adversity. And one thing that God never promises is that we're going to be comfortable in this life. He does promise that we will come under persecution. He does promise that there will be opposition because even though we have the Lord of Lord and King of Kings on our side, even though we are wrapped up tight in his victory, we have come from death to life, there is still an enemy that is against us in every facet that he can be. And it is only when that final trumpet blows that he will be defeated forever and for eternity. We're going to get to that in a minute. But here we are in verse 9. So we pray to our, guard, to our God and station a guard because of them day and night. But the people, they were still losing heart. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fails since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. 
And when the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, it actually says 10 times, they said to us 10 times, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So Nehemiah, in his wisdom, he said, so I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall. We sent them to the weak points, to the vulnerable areas. And I stationed them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And after I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So he sends them to these weak points with their families because who are you going to fight the hardest for? His wisdom continues to reign through here the way that God is guiding Nehemiah as he is bringing these people from their uh, sinful brokenness, not just them, but also the wall, and he is rebuilding God's people. He is rebuilding his nation. And so we come to verse 15. Verse 15, When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, Every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers, the leaders, they supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. And the laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand on a weapon and one hand on their work. Uh, in some translations it says one hand on a sword, one hand on a trowel, a trowel for building, a trowel for putting these stones together. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out. They're rebuilding an entire city, not just an entire city, the walls wrapped around an entire city. And so they were very far spread apart in some areas, and so the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Now that verse right there, especially that last sentence, our God will fight for us, that is going to be a key thing that we're going to dig into here in a little bit. But let's continue. So we continued the work while the other half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servant spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they could stand guard by night and work by day. I and, and I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. So we see God's people fully dedicated. Even when this opposition has arose up against them, they are not going to stop the work that God has called them to do. Never, whether it was Jonah as he failed, whether it is David as he struggles and fights against different nations to build God's kingdom on this earth, never when opposition arises from outside of God's will, from the enemy, does God ever call his people to back down. Does he ever call them to retreat or hide or any of these things. When God calls us to a task, he gives us the strength and he fights for us in that. And so uh, this passage, 15 through 23, it's uh, in some of your Bibles, you know, they give titles for each section. This one is called the sword and the trowel. 
And something I like about that, you know, my study Bible is a Spurgeon study Bible. Spurgeon, uh, he was a pastor. He's actually called the Prince of Pastors. He was a pastor in England uh, a long time ago. He started a church with 30, 40 people, led to uh, four to 5,000 at one point. Uh, people were buying and distributing his sermons. It was going out to millions and millions of people. Even back then, he had no microphones. He had no loudspeakers. But every Sunday, he would preach to thousands. And they would be quiet enough to hear him. And he wrote a weekly uh, newsletter, article, whatever you'd want to call it. I, I think it was actually a newspaper, classified as a newspaper. And it was called The Sword and the Trowel because he was so inspired by this passage of Scripture that God's people continuously needed to be built up and they needed to be fought for. And that's what he did week in and week out, not just in his Sunday services, but through that newspaper as well, which he named The Sword and the Trowel. So we see here, again, Nehemiah not just praying to God, but trusting God, crying out to him, fully trusting them, and then going forward with what he knows God has already called him to do. And we see God's people follow him in that leadership. And again, the victory here is that the people continued their work. They returned to it. They could have uh, fled. They could have stopped. They could have, you know, just like they did in, as we study through Haggai, when initially the people had gotten back to rebuilding the temple, they had come up against opposition, and so they halted. They stopped. And God comes back later, and he rebukes them with the prophet Haggai, saying, you've been building up your own houses these past 16, 14 years, when you could have been building God's. And so the people then back down, but here they do not. When we are under spiritual attack, it is easy to feel that just enduring the storm, just getting through that attack, getting through that hard time is enough, that that's the victory. But the attack often comes to slow or stop the progress of the work that you've been doing for the Lord. Victory, in this sense, is enduring the attack and continuing the progress that you are making as you work for the Lord. Just because you're going to find road bumps, just because you're going to find more problems, more problems. As uh, uh, we've bought a new home, we're remodeling it, um, many of you know, and every single little aspect, my, my two greatest sayings the past couple weeks as I've been working on the new house has been, there's always something, right? Or nothing's ever easy, right? Those are the two main sayings, whether it's building a fence or just trying to put in a light fixture, doing all these things that I've never necessarily had to do before. I've had other people to rely on, and, but there's just always something. There's always, uh, nothing's ever easy, but it's worth doing. And I'm supposed to do, I'm building a home for my family. And God is building a kingdom here on this earth, and he is allowing us to partake in that process. And not only is he building a kingdom, he is building us up as his people. Just as here, he's not just rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, but he is rebuilding the iron and the blood, the strength in the arms of his people, their dedication, their will, their devotion to him. That when something comes up against them, when an enemy arises, they will not back down. Again, they have been given their city back by God's grace, by his blessing, and now he is preparing them to hold it. So what is called 
What is God called for you to build and fight for in your life? Many of you are involved in a ministry. It is not easy. If it is a ministry worth doing, it is a ministry that will struggle, that will have to fight for because easy ministries, they come and go, but are they effective? The real stuff, it is hard and you have to grind through it because ministry can be messy. And so you have to be willing to get into that mess and you have to be willing to build up at the same time that you fight to protect it. Because like I said, in every aspect of our lives, we have an enemy that is against us. Whether you are involved in a specific ministry, whether you're involved in this church, whether you're married, if you have children in your own spiritual life, wherever you are, you have an adversary that is coming against you, that is trying to make you stumble, that is trying to make you fail, that is trying to dishearten you. He is ridiculing you, and he is calling out that a fox couldn't even stand on that wall. When you know very well that what God has already promised, so you're staying up, you're worrying about things that God has already guaranteed because you have been deceived by the enemy. And so, whether you're involved in this church, one thing that we must fight to build always is unity. And one thing we must always guard against is disunity. If you are married, are you building? Are you protecting? You must be continuously growing together, building that trust, because out of all the things that we enter into, all the relationships that we have. You know, we talked about this past Wednesday in our adult Bible study, we talked about marriage. We talked about how it is God-given gift that reflects the Trinity, that reflects God's love for his church. That's why husbands are called to love and die for their wives the same way that Christ died for his church. That's why wives are called to submit and serve their husbands the same way that Christ submitted and served, even up until death on the cross. And so Satan, the enemy, our adversary, the great deceiver, that is one of the number one things that he is going to come after in your life because it's a godly institution. It is made by him, for him, for you to enjoy together between you, your spouse, and God alone. And so, of course, the enemy is going to come against that. He's going to try to sow uncontentment, distrust, unsatisfaction, well, I guess that'd be uncontentment as well. He's going to try to mess it up in a whole lot of ways. Are you building it? And at the same time, are you guarding and protecting it? For many of you, you have children. One of the things that I've noticed through COVID, through, the, through our inability to be together, right, our inability to gather together for several of those months, you know, we tried different things. We did some online Bible studies. We tried Zoom, just like everybody and their brother. And let me tell you, something I witnessed, not just in our church with those Zoom things for the youth, but in every single other church that I have a relationship with the youth pastor, so seven or eight different churches, none of those Zoom things worked for the youth. They were so tired of being online every single day. They were so tired of having to do school through Zoom and all these other things. They didn't want to get on a Wednesday night Bible study on Zoom. So usually when we were having 20, sometimes up to 30 kids over in the youth building on Wednesday nights, and we were knocked down to like three, two. 
And I have seen, I can't speak for those other churches and their youths, but I have seen in our youth a, a decline, a decrease, a backstep from where they were at in their relationships with God. Because every single week they were meeting together, they were studying his word. But when we had to split up because of COVID, they weren't getting that. They weren't getting that at home. Not as much as they were when they were here. But youth is supposed to be secondary. Youth is supposed to be supplemental. And I'm not getting on our parents. I'm just pointing out a reality that because of that separation, because of everything that we've gone through over the past couple months, now more than ever, it should point out to us as parents that you need to be in control of what your child is learning. Not just educationally, not just through the school system, but spiritually. Fathers, you need to be the heads of your households spiritually. Are you building and are you protecting? In your own spiritual life, are you building or are you protecting? Many of us, we've gotten so lax and so distracted because we got thrown out of our sense of normalcy. We got thrown out of that routine of coming every single week. Even if sometimes it was just going for the motions of just showing up, and that happens, I understand. But even when just coming together in pure, true, genuine worship, bouncing the, the, the message that God has given you, what's going on in your life off of other people, hearing the word in that way, it's not the same sitting on a couch. It's a lot more comfortable. You get to wear pajamas, get to dress like a pastor does most Sundays. That's supposed to be a joke. Oh, my wife's not in here. She can't laugh at that. All right. <laughs> but um, are you building and are you fighting? Because God has empowered us to participate in the battle, even though it's his. And that's what I want us to read on next. If you'll go to verse 20, like I talked about earlier, this is a verse that I want us to just sit on and dwell on for just a moment. The work is enormous, it is spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. So verse 20, wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Whenever there was a battle, whenever they were being attacked, they would blow that trumpet. Everyone would rush to it. They would rush to it with their swords already in hand. They would be ready. They were not undressed. They were prepared to go to war at any time. And what sticks out to me here is this next verse because it almost seems random. It says, our God will fight for us. So I want to talk to you kind of about what this means. So that last sentence, our God will fight for us. It is three words in Hebrew. And I want us to dig into this sentence because sometimes through translation, we lose some of the understanding to the depths and the power and the brutality of what is being said. The first thing I want to point out is that it is personal. In Hebrew, it's just three words, as I said, and the first is Elahanu. Can everybody try to say Elahanu? Very good. Elahanu. It's a slight twist off of Elohim. Elohim, uh, God has several names, as you know, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai. Many of these names mean different things. Uh, El Shaddai is God of mercy. Uh, there's different uh, words used for uh, 
God of uh, our salvation, uh, uh, God of grace. You know, there's, there's different things, ways that they refer to him. But Elohim is simply the God. Elohim is the God. And Elahanu is our God. And so Elohim, it is a very reverent form of describing God. And it has a powerful backing behind it because Elohim is used, you got to throw some phlegm in there if you want to sound good. Elohim is used to describe God in Genesis 1 as he creates the heavens and the earth. Elohim spoke into existence everything that is. Elohim expresses and describes God in all of his power, in all of his majesty, and with all of his authority. So as Nehemiah speaks here, he is not just saying our God. He's saying our God, our God, who created the heavens and the earth. He will fight for us. And it speaks of his power, and it speaks of his authority. He himself, who spoke everything into motion, will fight for us. So another thing that we see here in the language is the second word in Hebrew. It is laham. Can you say laham? So it is elachanu laham. And it is translated in English to fight, obviously as you read in your text, but its literal sense means to fervently devour, to consume, to annihilate. So Nehemiah is not just saying that Elahanu, our God who created the heavens and the earth will fight, but that our God will utterly consume and devour our enemy. They will not just be combated. They will not just be brought to war, but they will be brutally annihilated with feverishly and feverishly devoured by God who spoke the world into existence. And so the last word is Lanu. Can everybody say Lanu? Easy, no phlegm required. And so Elahanu, Laham Lanu. In English, we translated it. Oop, just hit the thing. <clears throat> In English, we translated it, our God will fight for us. And it's important that we understand this doesn't mean that we will fight, that our God will come and that he will fight alongside of us or that he will fight in our name. What it literally means is that he will fight in our place. He will do all of it. He will fight for us. So this is significant because it is so unexpected. Then and today, servants and representatives went to war on behalf of kings, on behalf of rulers, on behalf of their God. But we have a God who wars in the place of his people. That's why I hope that you begin to see the picture of Christ that is in this verse. So another factor that we can easily miss today is that this sentence is written in a future imperfect voice. And that's a grammatical syntax, that's a fancy word that we don't really have in English. Uh, it's not a way of speaking that we have in English, but it's meant to communicate something that is in the future that is certain, that it's guaranteed, like it's already happened and that we can be assured of it. In English, we can only look back into the past and say, yeah, that has happened. This is what happened. It has occurred. But here in Hebrew, this is used to look into the future and say, it is what it will be with all certainty, with all guarantees. This is going to happen. So it's significant because Nehemiah is not saying that the people must do something for this to occur. It's not contingent upon them. It's not contingent upon them being obedient. It's not contingent upon them falling into this will. Their obedience, anything. 
It is just what it is. God will do this. It's going to happen. So God who created the heavens and the earth will consume and annihilate the enemy in our place. It is certain. It is certain our God will fight for us. And so the people must do nothing for this to occur because he is their God. He will do uh, everything. This is the same language that Moses used to tell the people in Exodus 14 that they had nothing to fear from the Egyptians. It says this, for the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And again, later on in Deuteronomy chapter one, Moses uses the same language again, telling the people that the Lord will fight for them like a father that carries his son. So what do we see here? Is that when God goes to war for his people, they have nothing to do but to be carried by their father, to simply be silent and let the Lord devour their enemies. That message reigns true for us today. Our God himself will fight for you. Sometimes our role is to be silent. It is just to rest in his arms. It is to do as Nehemiah has done time and again and just turn the enemy, turn what is against him over to God to lay it down at the feet of Christ. So in all that we see here in Nehemiah, God is telling his people, when you hear the horn blow, we will gather together and our God in all of his power and his majesty will descend upon the enemy and they will be devoured by the Lord who fights in the place of his people. And so what this is, this is a promise to Nehemiah, this is a promise to God's people then, and it's a promise to God's people now. It is a promise that our God has been and will forever fight for us. It is a prophetic portrayal. We know that this because it has both happened in the past. We get to read about it today. But it is also certain for our future. Deacons, if you will begin preparing for our communion. Humanity has been in a cosmic battle. We talked about our enemy. Humanity has been in a cosmic battle that has waged on since Genesis 3, where our enemy and the enemy of God has been seeking to destroy the people of God in Israel and the people of God in this church. So instead of sending us to war on his behalf, as any earthly king would do, he came down from heaven for us. Jesus said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. So the shepherd died for his sheep. And a God, the God, Elohim, our God, Elohanu, he became Yeshua. He became a sacrifice. And he fought on behalf of his people on the cross, where there, as he bled, as he died, he consumed and he annihilated sin and death, becoming El Yeshua Tenu, the God of my salvation. He resolved the eternal conflict that Nehemiah was fighting then, that we still fight today. He won the war. And the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, became a conqueror. And it is through his blood, it is through his sacrifice, that we are made more than conquerors in our faith in him today. So this is the God who loves you, who fights for you, who wants you to believe in his son Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we come together each and every Sunday in our best clothes, in our good moods, 
and we sing about his power and we sing about his glory, but our God has blood on his hands. Our God has won battles. He has destroyed kingdoms of both heaven and earth, otherworldly and worldly. He has won the war. And so there are things that God calls us to in our life, our marriages, our families, our relationship, our church, the lost, that he calls us to battle, to fight, to build up and to protect. But there are things like our souls, like sin and death that we could never have fought and won on our own. And that's why God gives us the gift of grace in his son, Jesus Christ through his blood, through his sacrifice, through what God could do alone, we have been redeemed. And today, for the first time in a long time, we get to celebrate that redemption. We get to participate in communion. Literally, we will commune, we will abide with, sit in and enjoy the presence of Christ as we share a meal with him on his behalf in remembrance of him. We will take this bread and we will take this cup and we will remember his body that was broken for us. We will remember the blood that sealed the new covenant and the new and final agreement between God and people that the blood of our cups represents, that it was enough to redeem us and to redeem the whole world. It's that blood that held the power of God in the flesh of a man to be able to wash us clean from sin and bring us back from death to life. Brother Deacons, if you'll come down. So again, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently today. We've got these nifty, COVID-approved ways for us to enjoy this meal, to enjoy this time. Uh, Our deacons are going to pass these out right now. Uh, If you're in a family, take multiples for your family. Otherwise, they're going to hand each individual one as we go. But before we enter that time, let us just begin in prayer. Father God, I guess this would be a prayer of blessing over this meal that we're about to share with you in remembrance and honor of your son, Jesus Christ, God. As he gathered together those that he had done discipleship with, that he had done ministry with, that he had witnessed to, that he had taught. God, I pray that even though those disciples, they were stubborn, they were ignorant, they stumbled, they failed, they doubted. God, but despite all that, despite all their flaws and all their failures, Jesus, you still loved them the same way that you still love us today as we struggle and as we strive. God, I pray that you would prepare us to build and battle for whatever is coming up in our lives. God, we know that even if we have sinned, if we have fallen short of you, we know that you are not done with us yet. God, there is always more grace. There is always more mercy because we cannot outrun your love. We cannot outspend the debt that you paid for us. And so God, let us just simply and humbly come before you in this time. Let us remove any distraction from our minds and let us just abide with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you'll pass those out.
as you prepare your sacraments, pull the little tab on top first, and then pull the bottom one. And then, Brother Deacons, as you finish passing them out up here, please remember those serving in our nursery and those that are serving in our children's church as well. So as they finish up passing out, as we hear all the crinkles, the tabs being pulled, let me share with you this. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit during communion, we are provided an opportunity to stop and just reside in the presence of God, to reflect on who he is and what he is doing in our lives. Jesus states that he won't drink this cup or break this bread until he returns with his kingdom, until that final trumpet blows. There is a day coming when we will no longer walk by faith, that day where all things are made new and we stand face to face with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that day is coming when our faith will be rewarded by Christ himself. And the cares and the troubles of this life will be gone when the final trumpet sounds and Christ returns. But until that time, as you sit in the presence of God, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians that entering into the Lord's Supper without first examining oneself, it can lead to sinning against the body, to sinning against Christ. And he says, if we don't judge ourselves, if we don't take an honest look at where we are, it can lead to God's discipline, to God's uh, rebuke, because he does not want us to be condemned with this world. And so our God, our Father, he continuously brings us back into his will, even when it hurts. And so if you have spiritually fallen asleep, if you are not right with God, he simply calls us to recognize and acknowledge that. There's only four or five times that God calls people fools. And there's only a fewer times that God calls people liars. God calls a man a fool if he claims that he is without sin. And in 1 John, we also read how he calls him a liar. And so I encourage you now, examine yourself. Recognize your sin, your failure, your shortcomings. And through this communion, realize what the body and the blood was shed for in your life. Accept the fact that there is sin in your life and that Christ had to die for and cherish him for doing it out of love simply because you were a sinner in need of a savior. Romans 5.8 says this, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. This is how we know God's love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Elah our God was fighting for us before we knew him. So let us not take for granted that we know him now. So if you will, if you'll join me, take your bread and remember his body that was broken for you. And now, take your cup and remember his blood that was shed for you. Sheila.
you'll just play us a tune. Now I invite you to take this time to reflect, to pray, to do as you will. Uh, Sheila's going to play. I'm going to pray. And then you can move as you feel led. I hope you all have a great week. And I'll see you all at our Wednesday night gathering. Thank you, Father God, for this message today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that no longer do we have to hold a sword in one hand and a trowel in another, God. But with both hands, we can firmly grasp your word. God, what you have given us through the Spirit and through your word is both a sword of truth and it is a guide to build. God, let us hold on to it. Let us cherish it. Let us fall back on it in our times of need when we don't have the words to pray, when we don't know what to do. Let us just simply trust in you. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, who came down as a man. He lived a life as we live. He suffered and he died for us. And so often we just focus on that death, Lord, because it was vital, it was essential, but it was bringing Christ back to life that sealed the deal. It was his resurrection, the fact that our God, our Savior is alive, that brings us back to life because we shared his grave and our faith in him, and now we will share in his glory. Father God, thank you for that precious gift. Let us never take our salvation for granted. Let it never become dry in our mouths. God, let us love and serve you obediently and faithfully as you have done for us before we were even born. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to treat one another in that way. God, I pray whatever burdens we have on our hearts, if they need to be handed over to you, I pray that we would lay them at your feet. God, whatever battles we are fighting, God, let us just remember that you fight for us when we cannot. God, let us remember that you have given us power and authority on this earth against our enemy and that he will never succeed. Amen.